wrestling has more than one royal family. Hey guys, this is Brandy Rose, and you are listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Adrenaline in my soul, something, something feature show. Yes, it's that time of the week again. It is Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets feature show. My name is David Hockney, and today we're doing another wrestler's profile show. Uh, and today we'll be discussing somebody that's made quite the impact over the last few weeks, ever since WrestleMania 38. Uh, not And because they jumped company as well, not from WWE to AEW, mind though. It's actually quite the opposite. No, today we'll be talking about uh, the grandson of a plumber, the dashing one, the the man with the gold star on his face, uh, but most people would now recognize him as the American Nightmare. It is Cody Rhodes. Now, somebody who, who even at such a young age, made one hell of an impact uh, across the, the wrestling industry, both not just from his family's name, but he carved his own path to make quite a success story of himself, even to starting his own promotion uh, just a few years ago. But all that and more to come up on this week's feature show. If you're listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet for the first time, be sure to follow us on our socials. We've got our Facebook community page, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. We're on Twitter, at Suplex Retweet. We're also on Instagram. And if you want to catch all our back catalogue, make sure you catch us on Spotify, iTunes, and all your good Android podcasting sites. Uh, personally, I prefer Podbean. No, you know, give that one a try. Just see, see how it goes, just for a change even. But today, I am joined by two panellists and... Two-thirds of us all together make up two-thirds of the A-show here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. So first off, we're starting with the, the work experience boy himself, Ryan Dalgleish. Ryan, right, welcome. How we uh, this is your first feature show as well, if, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Correct. This is the, the Saturday Draft Live coup d'etat of uh, feature shows, so <laughs> have fun with it. Uh, not quite a coup d'etat. Uh, I, think we've had, I think we've had a full SDL panel doing a feature show before, so I think you're... Your analogy is uh, a little outdated with that one. Oh, fine, uh, I'm right. <laughs> that's why you're the work experience boy. You, you'll get used to it. Uh, but also joining us today is somebody who, if, uh, with balls bigger than Cody Rhodes' hideous tash, it is Mr. Big Balls Tom McManus. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> big Balls is back. Big I'm a big, uh, yeah, big fan of Podbean as well. That's definitely yeah. the way to listen to pod, uh, podcasts. Yeah. You get any more you guys can think of? Any other podcasting platforms you want to share with the with the community? Uh, I don't uh, think so, no. no, I just I, I'm, I'm a Podbean man, so I just stick with Podbean. Fair enough. There you go. Check out Podbean. But anyway, enough uh, plugging of podcasting platforms. Let's get straight into the straight into the show. And it is, as we mentioned, another superstar profile. So, kick things off. Uh, Born on June 30th, 1985, Cody Garrett Runnels was born in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, known a highly successful professional wrestler, highly successful progeny to professional wrestler Virgin Runnels, aka Dusty Rhodes. And yeah, he's also half brother to Dustin Rhodes, aka Gold Dust. So quite a somebody who was essentially born into the business when it comes to to wrestling talent. And now, Cody's original wrestling training actually started out when he was 12 years old. Simply just, uh, just the, you know, simply from uh, taking bumps to, you know, simple training, etc. 
and was trained by the likes of Al Snow, Danny Davis, Randy Orton, and Ricky Morton. Uh, and his his initial debut was in where all uh, future stars were to be made, OVW, uh, famous for the likes of alumni such as John Cena, Batista, Brock Lesnar, and of course, Randy Orton. Now, guys, I'm going to open up to you straight away. How much do you know about Cody's time in OVW? Bear in mind he was only about 20 years old at the time when he first started. Um, from what I from what I remember, I don't know very much, but I know that uh, he's a small push quite quickly. Uh, he got uh, his tag titles with Sean, who is now Sean Spears. I can't remember if he was mm-hmm. called that then uh, in May 2006, uh, which then led to a future feud between the both when Cody was a OVW heavyweight title uh, champion. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, my knowledge is a bit lackluster, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, no, Tom, you actually made up a good point. You know, it was Sean Spears that he ended up uh, winning the tag team championships with and then had a feud over the uh, the OBW television championship as well. Uh, but Cody is also is a, is a former OBW heavyweight champion as well, uh, defeating Paul Burchill. Remember the guy that used to dress as a pirate? Oh, or, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then and then came back uh, in 2008 with the, the incest angle with Katie Lee Burchill. Hmm. Oh God! Yep. Yeah. But the less said about that, the better. Um, Bring it back. That's a, that, that's a feature show, isn't it in itself? <laughs> oh yeah, tell me about it. Free tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, just from his time in OVW, uh, he actually went straight to WWE not long after. And the first time he appeared on WWE TV was actually when he inducted his father Dusty into the 2007 Hall of Fame. Uh, and it wasn't long after that that later that year, uh, Cody actually made his first WWE appearance uh, in a backstage segment with Dusty and, of course, Randy Orton. Now, Randy was feuding with Dusty at the time, and they, those two ended up having a match at the Great American Bash. Uh, but then afterwards, uh, Cody got his first WWE match against Randy Orton, of all people. Now, Ryan, do you think that's quite a big quite a big um, opening match you know for somebody that's just making their in all fairness was a bit of a an accomplished sort of wrestler to begin with you know starting out young he'd won a few championships under his wing on sort of smaller promotions but going up against someone who'd already started to establish themselves as a veteran in the form of Randy Orton how much do you how much stock do you think they put on Cody Rhodes at that point oh it's definitely uh, the pressure is definitely on his shoulders when you do that but Orton is a uh, great professional and obviously when it comes to Cody and his family, he got to use his family to give him the advantage so we'll push him a bit um, so feeding him someone uh, like especially a heel Randy Orton uh, is going to be perfect for a start and uh, was it Raw? Mm-hmm. Yeah he started yeah, Raw. Raw Yeah, So that would be a perfect start for him uh, even if he doesn't come out and talk which I, he didn't I believe Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tom, do you think it sort of echoes Dominic Mysterio's debut a little bit? You know, his first proper WWE match was up against Seth Rollins. And, I mean, sure, Dominic had some wrestling training under his wing, but, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't a huge established name by that point, and yet he's going up against someone who's pretty much a WWE veteran by that point. Do you think that sort of echoes what the position that Cody was in when he first started? 
yeah it's it's one of those isn't it because you you get the the sense that with this it would have been probably the way they'd have gone about with every sort of um every every child that's sort of come into the business you either go one of two ways and that's either you go in the direction of charlotte flair or you go in the direction of david flair um on those sort of <laughs> basically uh th- those two sort of tangents that you can go go into it's it's one of that like th- you can't present someone and say this is the son of such and such a person and say like you're not going to want to see that as as something that's being presented to you D- dusty every everyone was a massive dusty Rhodes fan back in the day so mm-hmm. it's only right that um you you've got to strike while the iron's hot with cody and you've got to get him off the bat straight away you don't want him just festering around in the in the lower sort of card when you've got potential for this outreach of a potential major star on your hands mm-hmm. well you say that i mean but he lost to randy orton uh in his sort of first couple of matches and then but then he started to just sort of work his way start started from the bottom and working his way up because his first rivalries on raw were the against the likes of davari and the world's greatest tag team beating them all in singles matches so he was getting wins under his belt but he needed you know to sort of get his feet off the ground you know start making a bit of a reputation for himself. Uh, luckily, he was racking up the wins uh, here and there, uh, and he was starting to get a bit of momentum. But then, almost immediately, his first sort of big program, uh, he ends up in a feud-slash-partnership with Mr. Charisma himself, Hardcore Bob Holly. And, uh, now, Tom, this was a bit of a, you know, sort of veteran rookie tough love sort of experience, uh, given that, you know, Holly beat Rhodes three times in a row, but then they eventually become a tag team after earning Holly's mm. respect. And then they end up uh, winning the Raw Tag Team Championships from Caden Murdoch. Like, did you expect Cody to earn, like, not just, you know, respect from, you know, somebody who's had, who's basically gets mixed reception within the wrestling industry and then also win a championship at the same time? Yeah, I mean they've 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 very clearly gone with the idea of will hold his feet to the fire, and uh, and see if he makes it or breaks it on that that side of things. I'm trying to to be fair. I'm trying to think who else did they really have at that time around about that sort of um, that time period that they could have really used in that position other than Hardcore Holly really um, from that side of things that probably would have been a good fit with Rhodes because um, everyone else probably would have been a bit too far up the main roster. Um, in terms of being a main event star that they could have really put him with, but it, it's it's one of that. It's a it's a tried and true tactic of pairing him with someone that he can learn against, um, and then obviously give him sort of that that TV time. And the the payoff is obviously a major championship within WWE um, for the side of things. So I think I think the execution is is one of them. It's like if you'd have had anyone else, they'd have probably done it with someone else, but. They, they worked with the tools that they had at the time, probably on that side of things. Yeah, and Ryan, sort of during that time, they did have quite a lengthy run as uh, tag team champions, but in and thereabouts, you know, Cody was getting uh, some pretty reasonable performances in matches such as the 2008 Royal Rumble, uh, where he lasted 23 minutes in his first attempt, which is pretty impressive for a first Royal Rumble showing. Uh, even entered the WrestleMania 24 pre-show Battle Royal to determine the ECW Championship number one contender. Uh, but then, 
continuing to defend the tag titles with Hardcore Holly against other tag teams, do you think he was really starting to, you know, become a, a formidable talent on the roster by that point? Oh, definitely. It was clearly showing that the experience with Hardcore Holly was uh, paying off. As you said, with the events at the Battle uh, Royale and the Royal Rumble, he's shown glimpses of uh, not requiring a tag partner um, in a lot of these cases and able to actually act independently as a single star, which probably helped him further in his career in mm-hmm. the next couple of years. So definitely worked. Yeah, and talking of the next couple of years, I think this is going to be the first... Uh, first uh, heavy discussion point we're going to go in this feature show. Uh, let's talk about his kicking off with his partnership with Ted DiBiase Jr. And I can honestly say I've never seen a more, I don't think I've seen a more genius way of booking a tag team win than they did at Night of Champions that year, 2008, where DiBiase was teasing that he had a partner ready to face Rhodes and Holly. Only for when the match to start, Rhodes attacks Holly, tags DiBiase in, and they win the tag team titles, them two. So in a way, Cody technically lost and won the match, and in the process became a two-time tag team champion. Like, guys, I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, have you ever seen a, a crazier booking decision? quite like that when you and when you say it out loud it just sounds like a madness yeah i, I think I, you can correct me if i'm wrong but this is a very unique way of turning heel and winning and retaining a championship at the same uh, like that would have scored so weird in, a, in the draft if that, was, if that was the case then <laughs> i think that would just be a, i think i would just be a draw because technically you've lost the match but you've also won it so you just get appearance points <laughs> no, you'd get a draw points like uh, I don't know one and a half points or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's what it's one of them as well though, because you feel like this is something that feels like it's come straight out of Dusty's playbook. Um, it, it feels like a Dusty style finish in some kind of way, or at least a variation on it. So it it feels at the same time it feels very very right. For, for what it was considering the two that were in it on that side of things and it and it put together what was actually a very very sort of solid pairing when you put the the history of both of their fathers as well mm-hmm. but the the tag team title run didn't last long initially given that you know they dropped it to Cena and Batista the, literally like the week before SummerSlam but then they did regain it the following week afterwards so that was it was a bit sort of stop start for these guys and then at one point they eventually lost it to uh kofi the odd team of kofi kingston and cm punk very very unusual team say the least but um mm. that's when they started to uh be joined by the likes of uh manu son of afa of the wild samoans and then they were starting to put together the stable of multi-generational wrestlers and then randy orton gets involved as well as because he was returning from injury as well and started to sort of take this leadership role amongst this faction so yeah he was forming a team with the likes of Cody Cody was in there along with uh, Manu Sim Snuka but DiBiase was out at this point because he was off filming uh, the Marine film 
so Legacy was sort of still in its early stages, uh, you know, trying to establish its uh, trying to establish its final form. But I think Orton took a bit of a shining to to Cody Rhodes a little bit because they were featured on the Survivors team, Series team last that year, and Orton and Cody were the sole survivors. I mean, even just being a sole survivor in a Survivor Series team, Ryan, I think that, again, that's another big boost for Cody, even though he was, he's only literally been in WWE for about a year and a half by that point. Yeah, I was just looking at the times there. He has not been, he's been there, what, a year and a half? Yeah. Short two years? Like, that's crazy. Um, no, but finishing like that in a Survivor Series is just absolutely huge. Um, it's always big names that are able to do that in uh, pay-per-views like that so it's very clear that he was trusted as well even for somebody um, young in terms of being in the, the locker room so um, it's great for him mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Tom after that Survivor Series match DiBiase comes back from filming and Legacy forms its its final form essentially it's Orton Rhodes and DiBiase as to form Legacy now Obviously, with the teasing of Manu and Sim Snuka, do you think um, Cody, DiBiase and Orton sort of made the ideal formation of Legacy as a three-person stable, or do you think it could have worked maybe with Manu and Snuka as sort of backups? I think that Manu and Snuka probably could have had an impact in there. I think the angle that they probably would have gone with would be that these guys were better as a free with uh, Manu and Snooker working off doing something separate. it It's one of that, the, there's too much where I think they'd have probably had to, because of the history of every single person that was in that team, the idea of having to address it with everyone and be constantly, that that's that person, who is this person's son? And that's that person, who is this person's son? And that's why they're all joined together. Doing that with five would become a chore so it had to be free they're the right free to put together in my eyes looking looking at that that lineup um and then manu and snooker going off to do their own thing on that side of things mm-hmm. yeah and then 2009 comes around and legacy in their status alone they effectively become the top heels on monday night raw even Three, all three of them becoming the final four of that year's Royal Rumble, along with Triple H. And again, it's another big accolade for for Cody, given that, you know, he, again, he's only been there for about a year and a half, and he's a sole survivor, final four of a Royal Rumble, etc. Uh, and he's still, and he's always been involved in the major feuds by that point, you know, facing uh, Triple H, Shane and Batista in a WWE title match, in a six-person match, in a way, a little bit. But Tom, do you think, you know, despite, you know, being in that main event scene, do you think there was a bit of a danger that Cody and Ted felt nothing more than lackeys to Randy Orton's pursuit of the WWE title? I think there was always, there's always a thing where you, where you operate as a tag team that that's seen as um, a de-elevation if you can't have your sort of singles persona as well. You're always going to be seen as, well, you're not a singles guy because there's there's always and especially WWE's always always had this problem of never being able to elevate tag team wrestling to to the levels that other companies have been able to do it with um, at any point in history. So yeah, I think there probably is the case on that 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 would probably be seen 
um, as the lackey sort of side of things. But again, the, the we're talking on a really short time time frame at this point as well of what is, you know, the time that the, the stuff that's about to come when we get to the later bits. So I think we're going to find that this was all justified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ryan, speaking of the tag team wrestling again. Uh, following that sort of main feud, Rhodes and DiBiase ended up pursuing the the tag team titles once again, but they just always seemed to come up short again. You know, they didn't feel like such a. I mean, sure they were a threat, but they never just seemed to clinch that that elusive unified tag title run. You know, losing to Jericho and Edge and the Colognes at the Bash, and then losing again to Jericho and Big Show at Night of Champions. But then again, Jericho sort of made such a big impact throughout that year. I suppose you can't really deny them. Uh, deny them that but Ryan I want to talk to you about their feud with DX now Triple H and Shawn Michaels because uh, Shawn Michaels was out since Wrestlemania he made his return at SummerSlam they had a, a series of matches going from SummerSlam uh, to Breaking Point and then finishing off at Hell in a Cell was there anything about this rivalry that sort of established Rhodes and DiBiase in particular as a, a tag team to really be fear of, you know, especially going up against two legendary competitors like Triple H and HBK. Well, um, obviously, you're, when you're pairing against the, uh, you know, the the best there is, Triple H, but bias there, and Shawn Michaels, you're obviously gonna have a spotlight on you. That's great for you and your momentum. Uh, I believe their matches were at SummerSlam, Breaking Point, and then Hell in a Cell, right? Yep. But they won at Breaking Point, which was obviously huge. Submissions uh, count anywhere as well, and I don't know. Did you guys see the finish of that match? Uh, was that? Oh, is it not the? Like oh, I still, I, I still, I, I still recall it as being one of the most brutal finishes to a submission match I've ever seen. So it was DiBiase as the Million Dollar Dream uh, around like, to Shawn Michaels, and but Cody has has him in a figure four leg lock around the ropes, so he was essentially double submitted after isolating Triple H from the match. I'll be watching that when we hang up. Oh yeah, like listen, <laughs> go, watch, go watch it, it's a brutal, brutal contest. But yeah, just to sort of, like, a win over Triple H and Shawn Michaels, I mean that's, that's Shit. arguably, yeah, Rhodes' biggest win in WWE thus far, because he, at that point he'd only been a multi-time tag team champion, he'd never held a singles title by that point. I think I think very much sort of like that was the that's a big big sort of elevation to say that they're gonna they're gonna go with that point. But again, like they've been proving themselves on TV at this point up until then. You've got to give them the win at some point um, on that side of things. Um, I mean, we'll I think we'll get to the point of legacy where it sort of crumbles around towards the end. I think, but on this case as well, like. They made it. They made they 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 presented themselves as like a solid sort of tag team, and that that comes about to this point now, where you get to 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 these kind of levels. It's, it's how you should be elevating people at that point on mm-hmm. that side of things. It's just then they're going to get to the finish at some point on that side of things. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, Tom, you mentioned the implosion of Legacy in early 2010. Um, you know, there was miscommunication. Orton missed out on the WWE title at Elimination Chamber after Cody interfered, and then they have a triple threat at WrestleMania. But essentially, it felt like a two-on-one handicap match, which Orton ended up winning. So it was a bit of a, a weird concept, but it was good for Cody to get his first WrestleMania singles match at that point. 
Uh, and he did come out to his original theme song rather than opposed to like Legacy's theme or the Priceless theme that he came out with. But do you think Cody kind of got done dirty a little bit given that DiBiase got to come out using that epic uh, Legacy theme by Adelitis Way where he was sort of stuck with the the uh, generic Creator Wrestler Superstars entrance theme? <laughs> Yeah, it's very yeah. clear who they wanted to look good yeah. at the at the three of them. Uh, never worked out that way, but um, yeah, it was very clear. Because hmm. DiBiase, I think, suited the priceless theme a lot better, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, so that sort of ends his time with Legacy, and now we move on to arguably some of his best work as a singles guy. Uh, starting off with the... Uh, the dashing gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I think this sort of came about because of an online poll uh, where fans said that Cody was the most handsome superstar on the roster. Was it not uh, a, a backstage poll? Uh, backstage, it might have been, yeah, backstage or online poll, I can't remember, what, but it was a poll of sorts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he... Um, he... Basically, and he remember when he introduced the the dat the grooming tips as well as part of his vignette. Like, don't yes. sit there and tell me you didn't try at least a couple of those when he was uh, <laughs> when he was doing that. Because to be honest, that I admit I did try a couple of those and it did work brilliantly. Like, were any of those like some of your favourites, or were they? Um, do you think that really solidified his new dashing character gimmick? Yeah, I mean, this this is the point where you've got to do. You've, you've got to do what they want at that point and if there's one thing you can always say about Cody whatever he puts his mind to he goes 110% into everything anyone ever gives him even if he even if he will later then come out and say that he's not a fan of what they were doing with him at the time like he's he's an absolute work one of the things that will always stay, stay apparent with this is how much of a workhorse Cody actually is when it comes to his presentation mm-hmm. yeah real professional that way yeah did you see his entrance as well like even at his own unique sort of entrance where he had that digital mirror in the <laughs> yes in the Titan yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how creative is that <laughs> it's it's it, it was one of the most creative entrances I'd seen in quite a while and didn't involve a shit ton of pyro for once. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the dashing gimmick was was magic, but unfortunately it only lasted about six months before uh, one unfortunate match with Rey Mysterio uh, caused his face to cave in and he ended up becoming the, the disfigured Cody Rhodes or the undashing Cody Rhodes. Uh, and I mean, if you thought the dashing gimmick was was great, I think this was cranked up to eleven. You know, wearing that <laughs> the face mask, very much being, you know, keeping himself covered or hooded all the time because nobody he didn't want to show his face around. Uh, and he ended up having a, a pretty good high high feud, high profile feud with Rey Mysterio as well, beating Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania and then but losing to a losing to him in a false count anywhere match. But yeah, what did you guys think of the the disfigured gimmick? Yeah, I, I liked it a lot actually. When you mentioned the Rey Mysterio uh, feud, that was one of my favourite feuds from that time period. Uh, from when I watched it before my break from wrestling, that was definitely one of my favourites. 
uh, especially the paper bags. He tried. Oh put yes, on, yes. He put them, tried to put them on wrestlers during matches, backstage yeah. staff, and yes. audience members. He got, because, he got the, he got the assistants because, to help him as well. Yeah, because quote the ugliness offended him personally. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that, was, that was a really good oh time. It was good. Yeah, those, those plastic face mask things always creep me the hell out. So I always try and like avoid watching them in that case as well. But again, just going back to cut, like you give him any, you give him a piece of plastic to wear over his face, he'll go out and try and make it work as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did he not put a, a paper bag on Kermit the Frog as well? Yes, I think he rock. did. Yeah, when it was the Muppet side of <laughs> the yeah. Muppet experiences, Definitely. I miss those. I miss those so much. Mm-hmm. I'd watch but, more weekly if there were Muppets on it. <laughs> yeah, but they the disfigured gimmick um, would take him to new heights as well as he won his first singles championship in the form of the Intercontinental Championship, winning from arguably the the blandest wrestler since Von Wagner, uh, Ezekiel Jackson. <laughs> Not to be confused with uh, Ezekiel Elias's brother. No, this is Ezekiel Jackson <laughs> from Guyana, who was the Brian Kendrick's bodyguard for a time being. But yeah, I'm going off topic here. The uh, Cody wins the Intercontinental Championship. He gets rid of the the design at the time, which was that nice sort of smooth oval-shaped design, the one that was oh yeah, yeah. black oh. strap, golden blue. Still a very nice design, I must admit. But he ends up bending it in the brown paper bag and brings out the glorious retro white-strapped Intercontinental Championship. Now, what was your guys' reaction when he brought back the the Vintage Championship? I'm a, I'm, it's one of my favourite belts of all time, that white-strap Intercontinental. I, I absolutely love that Intercontinental Championship. I miss it a lot. It was a very, very, very nice championship. And it's, it's back one of the times where it, like... Anything meaningful with that Intercontinental Championship has done has been done when it was that white strap belt. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Ryan, what do you think? Kind of, sorry, um, that was kind of the, a lot of the point because they wanted it to have that prestigiousness that it had back in the nineties when mm-hmm. your your kind of workhorses of the company or the roster would have the kind of belts, uh, like uh, Brett, for example, uh, perfect example of that. He wanted to kind of keep that going and. Uh, partially showed for this title read. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I think there was a time where I think around the sort of 2011-2010, I think the Intercontinental Championship was losing a bit of its luster. It sort of, they sort of just gave it to whoever was the new flavour of the month just to give them a little bit of little bit of legitimacy. Like yeah. Ezekiel Jackson being a prime example of it. But then Cody does this with it and it just gives it a new lease on life. And I think, I think Cody is one of the main reasons why I think the Intercontinental Championship became one of the most, you know, must-see title matches that you see in in WWE is effectively he reminded everybody that it is the workhorse title. But and, and he and he went on to defend. Well, he went on to defend it uh, in some very high-profile matches uh, against likes of John Morrison, uh, Booker T, as well. And but then he he took it all the way to WrestleMania, where he ended up losing it to the Big Show. And it was a near eight-month reign of 233 days. One of the longest, I think, since probably Shelton Benjamin had it in 2004. So, I mean, his first singles run, definitely one of the most one of the most uh, enjoyable of the last 
few years. Can I also add to that that um, earlier in that title run, he feuded with both DiBiase and Orton separately, beating them both. He did, yeah. But the, I think, um, did he not lose to Orton in a street fight as well? Uh, could be right, actually. I think I remember it in fact, but... in fact, I think that's when he stopped wearing the mask as well and he just sort of had that revamped theme of smoke and mirrors rather than the, the disfigured oh. song. Yeah, that's right. He, he sort of morphed out of the disfigured gimmick and became, you know, generic upper mid-card intercontinental champion a little bit. Yeah, I know. He, I remember them dropping the mask around about that time, but I didn't know that was actually when it happened. That's quite, quite good, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, uh, but yeah, she did win it back from Big Show uh, at Extreme Rules. Like, remember it was a tables match. Do you guys remember how that match ended, or how Big is that Show the one with the Big Show's foot going through the table? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Oh, it was. This, I mean, I think Rhodes drop kicked him when he was on the apron. Yeah. Show lost his balance, and one of his feet went through a table, and apparently it counts. Yep. So again, a bit of a bit of a, a dodgy call in some cases, but you know it doesn't matter. He uh, he went on to win it again, and then lost to Christian a few months later. But going away a little bit from the, I mean, he had a pretty solid sing- first singles run with the Intercontinental title. Uh, but then I'd like to move you guys on to his time with Damian Sandow as part of Team Road Scholars. So, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, I remember this. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know they go around prancing that they were the you know the some of the most intelligent tag teams on the roster. Like, do you remember even they did a segment with the the Rock as well on one SmackDown? I mean, that's how annoying the tag team became. I have purged a lot of this from my memory. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to refresh myself of the road scholars, which is weird because I'm I'm a big fan of Damien Sandow. I, I've always enjoyed Sandow's work. I mean, they did uh, great. They did pretty damn good as a tag team because they actually became number one contenders after winning a tournament against seven other teams to face Team Hell No. I mean, they did not end up winning the titles, but um, you know, they definitely got a good showing given the time they were together, and they cut some amazing promos at the same time. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of them where it, where it's like the comedy. Sando was always so great at elevating the comedy style of it, and also making it still very very serious. And and Rhodes is a really good foil to play the straight man to Sando's uh, Sando's characters as well on those side of things. So mm-hmm. I need to I need to go back and refresh myself on some of this. But yeah, I can imagine it actually being very very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... No, he was. He did get concussed for a bit, so he missed some months of action, and then that's when he comes back with the, the mustache. <laughs> like, <laughs> was this really necessary, guys? What do you think? The mustache. Mustaches are always necessary. <laughs> uh, is it? Are they though? Absolutely. As a mustachy old man myself, then yes. <laughs> well, if, you, if you've got a full beard to go with it, then maybe so. But they. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm not a fan of a, a tash on its own. I mean, it wasn't even a, it wasn't even like a big twirly one either. It was just like a, it was just like um, I leftover, <laughs> leftover trimmings or something. I'm not, I'm not a fan yeah. of this. I feel very added at the moment. Yeah, no. The less, less talk, <laughs> less talk, less talk about the tash. The, less talk about the tash, the better. But, um, but yeah, they were supposed to have a match at Mania 29, but 
ended up getting cancelled as well due to time constraints. I mean, another match that, you know, Cody could have had to, you know, further the, the Team Road Scholars tag team, but I guess it just wasn't meant to be. But I want to bring you guys forward a little bit to Money in the Bank that year, where both Rhodes and Sandow both competed in the, the I think it was the SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match, which, funny enough, was all heel superstars at the time. But at this point, Cody, it looked like he was going through a bit of a, going through a bit of a face turn a little bit, because Ryan, people were actually cheering on Cody to be the winner of the Money in the Bank ladder match, but instead they ended up giving it to to Sandow. Do you think this was a, a missed booking opportunity to have Cody win the Money in the Bank ladder match? If in a room of uh, in an arena of all heels, and then one person's getting called. Uh, getting cheers out of a lot of them, surely that's the person you'd go for. But they must have plans for Sandow if that was the case. It uh, doesn't seem like the best decision from them, but hindsight's a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, but look what it created you know, next few months after that, so it can't have been all that bad. Mm. Yeah, Tom, what do you think? Do you think Cody should have won the Money in the Bank that year? Uh, I'd, have, I'd have probably rather seen him do it without the money in the bank briefcase i think the thing the thing with cody is he's always been one of them guys that they could have pulled the trigger on him at any moment and people probably would have gone along with it and been like we the worst case scenario is we're fine with this mm-hmm. um if not you were on the cusp of having a really really solid babyface star at a time when they've always, always needed new solid babyface stars because they've never been able to recreate them um, since since Cena came in, um, actually by booking them. Um, but you'd you'd have probably got to that point um, potentially with Cody. But it's it's one of them. They they always have to give the money in the bank to the to the heel, don't they, to to get that heel pop when they take it away because they just mm-hmm. they love that swerve. They're yeah. all about that swerve. Hi. <laughs> Although he did have a role as keeper of the briefcase at one point, you know, Sandow tried to offer him a bit of an olive branch, but they have that match at SummerSlam uh, as sort of like a, a blow-off match, but I think they missed an opportunity not having that match for the Money in the Bank briefcase, given that, you know, Cody threw the original one into the Gulf of Mexico, and that's how Sandow <laughs> got his, Sandow got his, uh, his custom fancy leather briefcase as well you know something that belongs in a in a Tory's library or something <laughs> David's library hey you mean Jack's library <laughs> same thing <laughs> uh, but yeah the money in the bank unfortunately wasn't to be but I suppose we did get something as you said Ryan hindsight is a wonderful thing because later that year we did actually get something pretty spectacular uh, with the Rhodes family teaming up Cody and Dustin uh, going up against the Shield to win their jobs back after being fired by the authority uh, after speaking out against them. Uh, but I think this was to this was to keep Cody off TV just so he could uh, marry Brandy and then go on his honeymoon. And then when he came back, they have that outstanding tag team match with the Shield at Battleground. I don't know what you guys recall of this match, but. I think some of us on the pod here say that this is one of the most underrated tag team matches like WWE's ever produced. Well, what do you it's think about one, that? It's one of the most underrated feuds that they've ever produced. 
It was the first thing of when they had that. Of I think I think part of it's the fact that they didn't realise how white hot the authority was going to be in terms of how much everyone hated them, um, and and how how where they were going to go with it. But yeah, like I don't think people, I don't think people give this whole thing from start to finish enough credit of how into it that people were i mean it, it really really this is the point where it really spawned for the shield in terms of people being really into into them as a as a trio um and and cody and cody and Goldust were like really really people really liked that tag team when mm-hmm. they first started doing it it was people were really into it and then any excuse to have dusty on tv is a is a win in my book yeah, definitely. Uh, now, Ryan, they actually did go on to have a pretty successful run as tag team champions, you know, defending it in triple threats, fatal four ways, uh, only to end up losing it to the young and upcoming tag team known as the New Age Outlaws. Oh, God, I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then things start, that's when things started to go downhill for them. You know, I think Cody was you know beating himself up a little bit you know saying he's letting his brother down etc and he said you need to start looking for a new partner and then oh christ here we go uh we get introduced to wait for it stardust (sighs) like tom where do you start with this i i will give it its due i was into this for the first few weeks that they did it i was i was i was pretty into this i was like i'm excited to see where this goes it outstayed its welcome by about a year and a half mm. but i i was i i enjoyed it i was always a big fan of the gold dust character i always liked cody i was like this could probably go somewhere um in terms of in terms of where they're going with it um it um <laughs> Yeah, it just it just stuck around a little bit too long for me. Mm. Yeah, Ryan, anything about the Stardust gimmick that that stood out, or is it something that you would just rather forget? Honestly, see, when you're looking for something to do this show, I was really excited about it, and then I did my research and remember Stardust existed, and I nearly missed it, so I don't want to do it anymore. Mm. But here I am. I've got to talk about Stardust. Uh, I was not much of a fan of this at all. I'm afraid. Um, yeah. But you know, as Tom said, it, I've got it, to see. I, I think Tom said, you know, I think it started out with a little bit of intrigue, you know, because it was a very sort of zany character to sort of get you going. There was a bit more interaction with the audience, etc. And some of the promos were obviously a bit bizarre, but then again, it fits in with Gold Dust being a bit of a bizarre character too. Uh, but yeah, it was. That do you think, guys? This was a uh, the 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 breakup of the tag team and then going into the feud with each other between Gold and Stardust. Do you think there was, this was a missed opportunity to have a very very good feud going into WrestleMania 31 that year? I I'd been I'd been so looking for as soon as they did it because you knew it was coming where there was going to be the Cody and Dustin match. Mm. I was I was really really behind it in terms of how how into that match I was I was I was very I was very much like I want to see this match when it happens I think it's going to be spectacular and then just at every turn just something seemed to just not be right with it 
and it's it's probably the fact that it it wasn't Cody Rhodes versus um, versus Dustin Dustin Rhodes. It was Stardust and Goldust versus each other instead, and it just it just didn't feel as big as it should have been. It just every year they seem to get closer and closer to it, and then when you actually got there, it was like I'm not sure I'm into the way they're presenting this. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is, and then you you look back and you go like oh. It's it's because it's not them fighting each other. It's these two characters, characters and personas fighting each other rather yeah. than the two two brothers. Uh, I hear you. Yeah, but one thing I will give the Stardust character a little bit of credit is the the attire he came out to at WrestleMania 31 when he was dressed as Mister Sinister from the X Men, and I oh, thought yeah. that is a pretty sick outfit he got. And it actually comes from Cody's own interests as a comic book fan. You know, he, he has cited that uh, the X-Men characters, Cyclops and Omega Red, are his favourite fictional characters. And he even has a game cabinet of the 1992 X-Men arcade game. Oh. So, yeah, he's a bit of a, bit of a comic book geek at the same time. And I think the Mr. Sinister costume was actually a, a nice touch to the, the Stardust gimmick. And it worked pretty well, given that Stardust often had silver face paint on his face at that point. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, though, uh, Stardust was given Wrestling Observer Newsletter's worst gimmick of 2015. So, <laughs> Good. yeah, I think, again, it, it started off with some intrigue, but it sort of fell like a lead balloon. And as a result, uh, come mid-2016, Cody requests his release from WWE, and it's granted the following day, citing frustrations with WWE's creative department and his position within the company as the reasons for his relief with his release and he was practically begging the writers to end the Stardust gimmick for over six months uh, so I think you know our discussion points there pretty much summed up you know nobody was buying the Stardust gimmick anymore even he was hating it at that point point. Uh, and Dave Meltzer even described the the, few, the his sort of career after Legacy he was used as more of a lower-end mid-card wrestler in a, in a number of changing characters and personas and that his career had gone nowhere and he hadn't been used well. Do you think those are are fair comments? I, th- I think it's entirely fair, to be fair. Um, especially by the by the time of where he'd where you'd got to that point where it had got so bad that by staying it was never gonna get any better. He was never gonna come back with just a re-gimmick and it was gonna go back to the point when, that it was at before Stardust. Um, on on that side of, side of things as well, it's it's to the point of like, I mean, he he was the first one to ever really do it um, in terms of in in terms of walking away as a, as a mid card and more so. Obviously, you've had you've had like the Austin walkout uh, beforehand, which has obviously been that case as well. But again, I think I think the fact that as again, I think there's there's a quote here that says um, about him talking to Triple H, and it was it was just the fact that. He just got. He just let it get too bad. He was the first one who was say a mid carder to, to turn around and say, "I think I can be used much better elsewhere." At that point, in in a long time, if not the first one to do it, really. Mm. Yeah, at the time it wasn't exactly like there was another big wrestling company that would just pick you up like that. There, there wasn't much but, mm. at the same scale, at least. Yeah, because in 2016, obviously, you had Impact Wrestling and stuff, but even still, they were still only second tier to WWE at that point. 
but yeah, following his release uh, in 2016, he ended up returning to the independent circuit, working on working with a number of promotions in and out. You know, in some cases he was, sometimes he was with PWG, other times he was with Ring of Honor. He was in TNA Impact Wrestling for a bit. He was in New Japan at one point, where he first was billed as the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, uh, at the New Japan's World Tag League, and also joined, ended up joining the Bullet Club as well. Yeah, Evolve as well. Oh yeah, let's not forget Evolve. And how about uh, Newcastle's own What Culture Pro Wrestling? Which later became Defiant Wrestling. Yep, that was the thing that happened. Oh, I didn't know that was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was that. Oh, yeah, you had quite a few big names in there. You had guys like, I think Drew was in it at one point. Joe Coffey was there. Uh, who else was in it? Uh, Doug Williams as well. Yeah, a few very noticeable names at one point. But I think one big accomplishment I think Cody had as well. Uh, I think uh, he actually ended up winning the NWA World Championship from from Nick Aldis. Nick Aldis, yes. At the um, it was at the that was all out, wasn't it? That's that's um, towards the the last sort of thing, wasn't it? Mm. Um, was that twenty? Was that twenty eighteen or was it? Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, May twenty eighteen. Yeah. yeah. But what about some of his uh, some of his other appearances on the independent circuit? Is there anything else from there that really stands out to you? Well, he was that, that. What stood up? What always stood out to me was the fact that he was everywhere. If it was an ind- independent show of some kind of name, of of some kind of name, he was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was he was for those few years. He was arguably the most in-demand talent um, in in the world outside of WWE. Um, he was he was absolutely everywhere, and he was and he felt like a, he felt like it was he felt like not that he had to, but he felt like he justified himself by leaving WWE and saying, "If you'd used me like this, look at what I'm doing on shows that have less than a third of the budget of what you have, um, less than less than ten percent even of the budget that you guys have." Mm-hmm. Um, on that side of thing, like he full on justified himself as saying, like I always thought I was a star. You didn't think I was a star, so I'm gonna go and show you that I can be a star. Mm. You actually raise an interesting point there, Tom, because you know you're talking about promotions that had you know only a fraction of the budget that WWE had, but yet when you book a guy in the right way, it can actually make it a very worthwhile show to watch. It kind of reminds they me book, of like, yeah, because they 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 went out there and they went and and booked a good wrestler as a good wrestler. Yeah, it almost like it's almost like black and gold NXT booking a little bit. You know, it's yeah. it's a much it's a much more toned down show. But when you use your resources in the in the correct way, you can actually produce a very very entertaining show. You know, that's why they always say like less is more as long as you invest it correctly. And I think that's mm-hmm. what they've done with Cody. And I'm just going through a list of some of his uh, independent uh, independent promotion accomplishments, like. He was at Ring of Honor's final battle. He was Ring of Honor world champion at one point before losing it to Dalton Castle. And he even won the Ring of Honor world six-man tag team championships with the Young Bucks. So already making waves with his former, with his, sorry, his future uh, AEW colleagues as well. Much like in, 
New Japan as well, where he became IWGP Tag Champions with Hangman Page. And, you know, they guess who they beat to win those tag team titles? Uh, I've no idea. It's a team that's it's a team that's currently in WWE. Any guesses? I've got I've got nothing here if it's currently in WWE. Uh, well, I'll tell. In that case, I'll tell you. Yeah. It was War Machine, aka the Viking Raiders. Ah. Hmm. Yep. That so, is a name I've not heard in a long time. Yeah, you know they're it's actually. Not the Viking right. experience, is it? No, thankfully not. <laughs> you know they're they've they've actually gone back to NXT now. NXT 2.0. Mm-hmm. And they're doing like a few of the Creed brothers. But anyway, that's uh, I digress on that. But um, <laughs> I mean, Cody again. Just it just, it just seems like wherever he goes, he's always you know booked in the correct way, and he ends up winning championships wherever he goes. Like I said, he won IWGP tag titles with Hangman Page. He even defeated Juice Robinson to win the IWGP United States Championship as well. His, which was his first singles championship there. So it doesn't. I think it just goes to show, no matter where he went, he was always going to be, you know, a big name. You know, especially as a member of the Bullet Club as well. You know, the, arguably the biggest stable in professional wrestling at the time. Yeah, that was the, the elite Splinter Group, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. With, yeah, with the Hangman as well, and they did that. Right. He, well, he he completely rejuvenated that side of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and made them feel fre- very very fresh, um, to the point where people were again still still interested in them at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I also add at the end of um, this kind of uh, series of his uh, career uh, after the independent scene that he'd won fifteen championships at this point in his entire career. That's so mad. I, I think I think that just Robinson won was his fifteenth. I think that's like three times more than he won in... Well, by that point, I think he won twice as many championships compared to his time in WWE. Because he was a four-time... No, he was a five-time tag champion. And a two... No, sorry, twice as many. Because he... Two-time Intercontinental champion, five-time tag champion. And there's a two in the developmental as well, if you're not including them. Yeah, I'm not including them. Right, okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's move on to uh, the biggest challenge we've seen to WWE in quite a while. One of his his babies, essentially, as opposed to you know uh, baby baby Liberty, uh, the formation of All Elite Wrestling AEW. Now the. Um, AEW was announced at the start of 2019 during a conference in Jacksonville where Cody, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega were announced as executive vice presidents as well as being on-air talent. Both Cody and the Bucks had signed five-year contracts with the promotion. Uh, And at their inaugural event, that's when we got to see the feud we should have seen that wasn't Golden Stardust. It was the the five-star classic between Cody and Dustin at Double or Nothing. And it, they cut that amazing promo at the end where it's like, I don't need a tag team partner. I need my brother. Like, what yeah. was you, I think, guys, I mean, I've, I've heard this match has received a ton of praise from the wrestling community as a whole. What were your guys' reactions to that match? It was so uh, good. 
Yeah, I I enjoyed this match almost like nothing else I've ever enjoyed before. Um, when when this when this match happened, I I always I always had the feeling that they were capable of something special, and I'm I'm just I'm so so happy that we finally ever got to see what they were both truly capable of, um, and that we but that we just we got to see it um because it was it was really really something fantastic it was my it was it was hands down my favorite match of that year um it's it's still up there as one of the one of the best matches i've seen in a very long time i agree um just the facts because like if, if you only watched wwe that is so fresh to watch first time mm-hmm. like you've ne- like you'll never see a match like that in wwe ever but you cannot compare it, and then you go and watch that the first time. It's just incredible, especially as you said at the end uh, about the Adonia tag partner, it's a brother. It's just everything about it was superb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then obviously AEW would have a a number of other special events before doing weekly TV, and this would have been you know nine months after it was first launched. So there was uh, he had the match at Fighter Fest with Darby Allen. Which went to a time limit draw. Yeah. Uh, but I think that match unfortunately ends in infamy a little bit, given that Sean Spears' chair shot ended up giving Cody such a big gash in his head. It was it required twelve staples to close. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then as a result, at all out, Cody would get a match against Spears. Uh, and after that, he would actually go on to face Chris Jericho for the AEW World Championship at full gear. Yeah. But he actually was in the opening match of Dynamite, though, uh, defeating Sammy Guevara in the very first match on Dynamite. I mean, was there any other... Tom, do you think there was any other person who could have opened Dynamite other than Cody? Not not at that point, no. I mean, they, they'd done everything that they... They, they'd done some, some really stellar work with him. Um, at that point, and he felt like the the biggest star in the company um, by a long shot. He it was always he always had to to walk a a more narrow tightrope than everyone else with with how much of a sort of a the platform he put himself on as being like I'm management for this company as well, mm-hmm. and then also being in there. But I always I always felt that he delivered in everything that he did. He was. He he was a real he was a real standout for me sticking with AEW for as long as I did at the at the beginning of it because they they took a very very long time to find their feet in terms of the content that they were putting out but Cody was always always one of the standout performers on that side of things. Hmm. Uh, and Ryan, when Cody did get his match against Jericho at Full Gear, he said if he lost, he would never challenge for the AEW World Championship again. Now I don't know how you felt about that uh, that booking decision, given that obviously you know there's been a there have been some instances in the past you know where people in positions of power are constantly rewarding themselves with world title matches etc. <coughs> Jeff Jarrett, <coughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Do you think some people are saying this in hindsight that it was a, a poor decision to make that announcement to begin with? Because I think pe- some people would have loved to have seen Cody as AEW world champion at some point. So, do you think this was kind of a a lose lose situation with that booking, 
or do you think it actually had some benefit? Um, not necessarily, because you got to look at it from Cody's position at the company, uh, partially running the company. He doesn't want, he will want to have himself top of the card, but he has to put the other talent over, or none of it works. So adding a stipulation like this allows other talents to be able to uh, challenge champions uh, like Chris Jericho at. Uh, pay-per-views and not just himself um, and in terms of storyline that added uh, the result of the match uh, meant that it, the storylines developed further for Cody with his uh, what would be MGF, MGF after it um, a lot better so it wasn't all that uh, doom and gloom mm-hmm. yeah well speaking of the feud with MGF I mean Tom Cody got put through a ton of shit uh, during that feud, given that he had to take 10 lashes with a mm. belt, and then have to go through Wardlow in a steel cage match. Like, but that lashing segment, like, how uncomfortable was that to watch? Oh, yeah. I um, Another thing that I've probably just pushed from my memory on that side of things, I mean, I, I think I think this is this is one of the things that they they not necessarily got wrong with Cody but they 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 made it of the to keep him as a baby face they were under the impression that they had to really really put him through absolute hell and back and I think some of the segments then became kind of uh kind of to the point of like what what are we actually watching here um, in terms of this, because I, th- I think it, w- it became a little bit see-through what they were doing on those side of things, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't necessarily have the payoff that it wanted them to have on that side of things. But again, it was always it was it was content you weren't going to see anywhere else, which is again one of the things that he's really thrived on over the last few years. That you you won't see anyone doing what Cody does because he he goes out and puts he's constantly in the mindset of putting fresh ideas out there yeah and Ryan I think that's what makes Cody stand out makes makes Cody a standout performer he's not afraid to try new things to try and engage with an audience but at the same time there is a flip side to that uh, like and I think Tom mentioned it like maybe he's he's almost trying too hard to become a a sympathetic baby face and I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way particularly some audience members as well you know trying to paint him as this like uh, conquering hero almost who goes through a lot of strife essentially I think you know on Central you know we've had we've uh, complained about him you know being a very almost uh, too much of a white meat baby face a little bit do you think that was the, the impression that was being given off with the way he was booking yeah a, little, a lot of it's very forced you can tell for sure um, and it probably Long run did do a bit of damage for him, uh, but you got to remember in terms of him being in charge, it's very new, and it's got to be tempted to put himself in that position. So uh, I'll give him that. But yeah, some of it was a bit, bit much. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of booking yourself to win championships, uh, he actually ends up becoming the the AEW TNT champion after winning the eight-man single elimination tournament defeating Lance Archer in the finals. Uh, 
and it was uh, presented to him by none other than Mike Tyson, who the the one who is I think last seen on an episode of Raw where he I think he faced was it Jericho and I think he punched Jericho after aligning with DX again. But yeah, um, and Cody actually went on to have quite a, a formidable run with his first TNT title, defending it every single week against. You know, up-and-coming stars like Jungle Boy, Mark Quinn, Ricky Stark, Sonny Kiss, Eddie Kingston, even, you know, one-off appearances from, like, Warhorse, essentially. Like, Tom, do you think this had shades almost of, like, what John Cena did with the United States Championship in 2015? Yeah, I, I think I think there was, there was a few sort of comparisons that you could draw from that. I think they did it differently enough in the fact that they kept it with sort of new people being brought to the actual company itself um where it where it was different enough to say that um from that case as well but yeah they again you're sort of getting to the point now where they had sort of booked themselves into a corner with how they had to book Cody, Cody at AEW on that side of things but again I think they did I think they've always done done a very good job of putting their own spin on things there's only so many t- there's only so many things you can do in wrestling that are truly, truly unique. Um, and they did the whole like, they they basically just said if it if it works, don't don't uh, don't change it. I think with that style of uh, booking for him. Mm. And he will obviously go on to continue the feud with the TNT Championship against the late great Brody Lee. Uh, I mean, Brody did defeat Cody to win the TNT Championship but then Cody wins it back to begin his second reign. And funnily enough, it was Brody Lee's last match as well uh, after the dog collar match, which is a bit bit kind of somber when you say it out loud, given mm. that Brody Lee's last match was against Cody Rhodes. Yeah, it really, really adds a really sour taste to it. It's a shame because obviously Brody Lee would have deserved longer than a two-week title reign but obviously there's a good reason for it mm-hmm. um, it's a real shame yeah but after that you know when he'd lost the TNT title to Darby Allen, he just had a bit of a mishmash of feuds in AEW there was never any sort of real direction for uh, for Cody at that point given that you know he ends up feuding with Shaq at one point teaming with uh, Red Velvet against Shaq and Jade Cargill he competes in the face of the revolution ladder match but fails to win and then he goes up against the factory you know QT Marshall Aaron Solo Nick Comoroto but then he ends up facing uh, Olympic boxing champion Anthony Ogogo at double or nothing uh, and he comes out in an attire I think which can only be described as the uh, um, I, I don't know why I had, I had the Highlander in my head but that's not that it was the uh it's Homelander, isn't it? Homelander, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know why I was thinking Highlander. Maybe it's just because we're Scot. Maybe it's because we're <laughs> Scottish. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's Hol- he comes out dressed as Homelander and you know going all Hulk Hogan level of American a little bit. But um, yeah, the the match with Anthony Agogo, I think this was a a really good opportunity to. You know, maybe put over a guy like Ogogo, especially when it's his first sort of major program in a wrestling company as opposed to boxing. But again, once again, Cody was sort of booked to be the 
the American hero who overcomes the the foreign British uh, villain, essentially. Like, I th- do you think this this got to a point where I think the fans started to become a little bit annoyed with how Cody was being booked? I th- I I think yeah I think it was a I think it was a natural reaction at that point where they where they got to that point again. It's not that he was directionless; it was just they'd they'd cur- curtailed the natural direction for him to go in by this point. Because this is the point where it was a good idea to do what they did with him not being able to win the title at the time, but at the same time, it was always going to be something that eventually backfired. Um, because he had no progression points to go to um, at that point, and he and they couldn't use him the way they couldn't use him as an enhancement talent because he wasn't someone who should be used as an enhancement talent on that side of things. It was a difficult situation. They've always they always seemed to handle it the best as they could, but yeah, it did. Obviously, there were times where things didn't go the way it could have done, and it probably damaged them just as much as it succeeded at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the end of 2021, he's back in the TNT title picture, uh, facing then champion Sammy Guevara, and then wins the title for a third time, becoming the first three-time TNT champion. And Sammy Guevara, funnily enough, becomes the second one uh, just a few months later. So yeah, I think that's that's. A, and they ended up with that. Uh, ended up doing that ladder match for the title where I think Sam, I think was it Sammy that did that outstanding cutter from the top of the ladder and it oh. like one of the most beautiful ladder spots I've seen since Edge's spear at WrestleMania X7 yes yes I remember yeah I would actually argue it was better than the Edge one Ooh. I'm thrown out there I mean I think it was certainly better in terms of execution cleaner cleaner yeah but edges has the originality factor behind it i reckon yeah you can't really be the history of the edge one can you and given and, and given that jeff was literally had hanging from the title as well rather than just sort of standing on a ladder yeah okay you've got it one now <laughs> okay yeah but lo and behold that would actually turn out to be cody's last AEW match because uh some dealings backstage apparently didn't go to plan um he and brandy apparently couldn't come to terms on a new contract and he ended up leaving uh i think it was just short of his originally original five-year deal given that they originally signed in 2018 which is a real shame as well given that you know i think i don't know what you guys think could could cody have done continued to be a, a big name player in AEW? despite you know missing out on a new contract i think i think he certainly could have been it was just whether the the difference was 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 the space for him in the actual full main event at that point yeah. he was a full main eventer mm. um and and it was the only place he would have felt at home um in terms of what he could have done going forward and i think it, it probably would have been the case that they'd have probably had to turn him heel as well um on that side of things and i don't think he was ever really ready to be a heel again he's he was a heel for almost like a full five or six years so i'd imagine he probably wants to spend about as much time as a baby face especially when you're the son of 
arguably one of the biggie baby biggest baby faces of all time yeah the grandson um, of a blubber yeah exactly um on that side of things so i think i i it always felt like it it had perhaps reached its natural end um they probably could have forced something out of it on that side of things but it does seem like with Cody it's always the case of whatever the most drastic manoeuvre is going to be the one that works out the best for him mm-hmm. Ryan yeah. what do you think just, do you think he could have done extra to, just to add on a bit to what Tom said it was very clear at this point uh, AEW is coming a bit more top heavy mm-hmm. uh, a lot of big names coming in and Cody might not have room in the top of the card when there's so many people competing to get top of the card um, I think tactically it might have been a genius decision because you might have had it might have been Stardust all over again <laughs> who knows <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not uh, but no, I hope it works out for him mm-hmm. well speaking of things working out for him he actually ends up returning to WWE at Wrestlemania 38 as Seth Rollins mystery opponent now unfortunately because we live in an age of social media and the internet we would find out that multiple sources indicated that Cody had actually signed a contract with WWE and that he was allegedly going to get a WrestleMania match. So I think it was a for- I think it was a bit of a foregone conclusion that he was going to be Seth Rollins' WrestleMania opponent. So, but even still, guys, I'm just going to throw it out there. What was were you like? How can I put it? Like, do you think? If you hadn't known, if you had not not a clue about who this mystery opponent was going to be, what do you think your reaction would have been when you seen Cody come out? Oh, huge. Um, I think it's a real shame that we kind of knew it was going to happen about a month before it. Hmm. Uh, it would have been different if it was kind of teased like a day or two before. But the fact we knew for, so, for a good while beforehand, it kind of killed the buzz for me personally. I still enjoyed it a lot, their return, the confirmation, seeing them, especially with the kind of music playing. I uh, really enjoyed that, but um, it could have been a lot more. Like It's not exactly like Edge's return. That's like what I expect a return to be like when I see one. Uh, it could have been more, but I still really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan, what was your reaction to Cody coming back? You know, with his full, his full, essentially his full AW mantra you know he had the the homelander outfit he had the titan tron he had the branding he had his bloody american nightmare hickey on his neck like the logo the branding everything he had it was even uh, kingdom by downstate as his theme song he, he got to keep everything he has the rights to it though doesn't he i think so yeah i think it was i think one of the things was the fact that it was it was exciting it was something that had never really um that even even Jericho's never really who who's gone and changed his his persona so many times over the years it it felt even fresher than when Jericho came came back every every so often a years and that was always one of the things that people would look forward to because of how exciting it was because of you you knew you were going to get a different Jericho in this essence you were getting the exact same Cody Rhodes that you'd seen in a company that you would have never expected to see that Cody Rhodes be within. And I think that was one of the things of like, this is something by doing the exact same, we've never seen it before. 
can I just say Chris Jericho's like the perfect comparison there? Yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly what you want. Yeah, sorry. Well done. <laughs> that <was laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I tell you what, though, I think that's that's the one moment of WrestleMania that I've watched over and over. You know, Cody making his entrance and just hearing that crowd pop. It's absolutely fantastic, and I just I just can't imagine like if there was no internet, no social media, like no no way of anybody to get a whiff that Cody actually had signed a new deal, and then you hear. You hear Downstate playing Kingdom, and you have all the American Nightmare branding, etc. I reckon people would have just popped like mad. They would have lost their shit to know that somebody who was in AEW for years is now taking their entire brand, like their own, their full character, over to their rival promotion. I think that would have blown the roof off the plate. It would have been like if somebody had jumped ship from... WCW to WWE back at a time where nobody would have clocked on the dirt sheets or anything what was going on yeah he was the first one to do that wasn't it going the other way going the other way yeah I believe so I mean and who would have thought it would be Cody to do that given that you know he was an executive vice president you know because there were rumours going around like you know maybe Brian Cage or MJF would have been the first ones but lo and behold it was Cody like say imagine someone told you that Cody was going to leave AEW to go back to WWE two years ago, you'd have laughed in their face. Mm. Yeah, you'd been like J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> laugh like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were saying? Uh, I, was just, I was just saying about how it would have been an absolute joke if somebody had mentioned that to you. You wouldn't have believed them at all. Oh, yeah. But now look at that. It's happened and now he's off on what appears to be a main event level run with, uh, with WWE and I hope it really goes well for him uh, in the in the year years to come. Uh, but just a couple of uh, random tidbits just to sort of finish us off here. Uh, he actually made a guest appearance on the TV show Arrow, playing a character, oh. Derek Samson, who was, uh, I think he was a drug dealer with the inability to feel pain. But funnily enough, do what his, uh, his drug of choice was called? Stardust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he just he just couldn't let Stardust go. Like, he followed him around like a, a specter almost. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he was also one of the faces of the... On 2009, he was one of the faces of the Gillette Be a Superstar advertising campaign along with Jericho and John Cena, which was a four-month-long interactive campaign in which wrestlers were advertising Gillette Fusion products. Uh, and this was even before, you know, he had the dashing gimmick as well. So can you imagine the dashing gimmick, I think, would have been ideal for that sort of... Uh, that Gillette commercial? That would have been great timing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but just one last question before uh, I let you guys go. Like, Cody is obviously, you know, he's, he started off as a young age in the wrestling business. He's been in, he's been an active wrestler for over 15 years now. He's been through every promotion you can think of. He's made his mark everywhere he goes. What do you think uh, is defines Cody Rhodes as a wrestler? And what do you think will be his legacy? Interesting choice of words. Mm. Uh, See what I did there? Yeah. I, th- I think, like, no matter the gimmick, no matter the direction he's given, he's always, he's always 100%. Like, he's always given it all. Like, he hated Stardust so much, uh, especially the second half of that kind of time period, but he's still committed to it because he's a professional, uh, and that was very clear. Not just to us, but to other people backstage. 
mm-hmm. he wanted to commit because that's what he wants to do. He wants to wrestle, and that's what I commend him on most. And fighting back to get to where he wants to be. Tom, what do you think? I think the moment people are really going to remember him for is that WrestleMania moment this year. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be something that really like sticks in people's minds as uh, as as something new. I don't I don't actually think you've seen I don't think you've seen the point of Cody. I don't think we've still seen as much as he does put a hundred percent into everything. I don't see think we've seen what happens when someone else puts a hundred percent into Cody Rhodes. Yeah, and I think we're on the verge of potentially seeing it. And if they can get it right, and bearing in mind this is who is going to be trying to get it right, so there's a very limited chance of it happening. Um, but if they if they do have manage to get it right, you're on the cusp of something that's going to be like a landmark moment in wrestling history. Yeah. Now, you guys all make excellent points, you know, especially when he's had so many big moments, you know, from the beginning of his WWE tenure all the way up to his time in doing AEW. He always puts 100% effort into what he does because I think he just loves the business as a whole. Definitely, you know, it's passed down through his family as well, given his relationship with his father and his stepbrother as well. It's... It's pretty fascinating to just see how much effort he puts into whatever he's given, and he'll always—he's not afraid to speak out either when he's given a bad gimmick. But you're—I think Tom, you made the excellent point. You know, his return at WrestleMania 38 basically defined how universally loved he is as a performer, and I really, really hope he does end up becoming a world champion in WWE at some point. But um, well, sorry, do you think he will? I reckon he will. I mean, they put the bloody title on Jinder Mahal, for God's sake. I think if they could get away with that, they could easily do it on Cody. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's going to do it. <laughs> that's going to do it for us today on the feature show here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. If you enjoyed what you've listened to, once again, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. We've got Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, Podbean, uh, but also any other podcasting site, whichever whichever you please. And be sure to follow us on social media as well. We have our Facebook community page, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Get involved with the conversation. Let us know if there's any subjects you'd like to talk about or just catch up with any chat involving our Draft Fantasy League on Saturday Draft Live, which you can catch myself and Ryan on at some point, along with Jack Graham and oi Scott McLeod. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but all that remains for me to be said is thank you to my panel Ryan Dalgleish thank you for having me and of course Big Boss Tam Tom McManus always a pleasure I've been (laughs) David Hockney and this has been the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet feature show on Cody Rhodes and we will see you next time Hi I'm Scott McLeod and I'm Grant McRobbie we are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet East Meets West where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. <laughs>